So Connor Ben moves to 16-0 with a fourth round TKO victory over Steve, is it Jamoy? Jamoy, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, ben is a work in progress. He's always compared to his dad, not just because he is the son of a famous boxer, but also because stylistically and even in terms of his mentality, he reminds me very much of his dad and obviously other people feel the same way. However, one of the criticisms that people have had of Conor Ben, one of the many criticisms, is that pound for pound, he doesn't carry the same kind of punching power that his dad had. And this is something I've said before. However, in retrospect, when I look back at Nigel's career, he wasn't really a massive puncher at super middleweight. At middleweight, yeah, he was more of a serious puncher, but at super middle, he wasn't this, you know, wrecking ball that he was when he was rising the ranks at 160. And maybe with Conor Ben, it's a case of him fighting in a weight division too high. Perhaps if he dropped down to 140 pounds, the punching power would be more effective against the smaller guys. Now, a lot of you are going to be wondering where I'm going with this. He just knocked a guy out in Steve Jamoy. Yeah, he did. But Conor Ben, similar to his dad, when he wants to punch hard, he really looks like he's throwing everything at the punch, maximum effort. With a lot of serious world-class punches, they tend to throw shots which at times look effortless but have devastating effects. Conor Ben and his dad Nigel were never like that. They were always guys who would strain. You know, you could see their face straining and they're putting the absolute maximum they could possibly put into these big, sometimes wild shots. So, and even then, they have an effect uh, but not the kind of clinical knockout that maybe a Deontay Wilder might get uh, and obviously Wilder's a heavyweight but I'm just using it as an, a pound for pound example so yeah Conor Ben he hits hard enough but he certainly doesn't appear to me to be an elite level puncher you know maybe he'll develop into one he did get rid of this guy Steve Jamoy he boxed a lot in this fight and it's good to see him boxing although Within the first minute, I want to say, of the fight, he was getting caught with right hands straight away, even though he was boxing on the back foot. So there's a hell of a lot to work on there with Conor Ben. Defense obviously doesn't come natural to him. He's much more of a naturally offensive fighter. But he understands that in this game of boxing, you need to be versatile. If you only fight one way, unless you are absolutely exceptional in fighting that particular way, then versatility is the only way you're going to have success at the highest level. So yeah, he's trying to diversify his, his portfolio, if you want, in terms of the tactics and the different styles that he can box. So it was what he you know was expected to do against this level of opponent. And he moves on to bigger and better things. They're looking to get him a British title shot in the new year, which I think is the kind of level that he should be aiming at at the moment. Obviously, he wants to go places. And just like his dad, Conor Ben, has tremendous heart. He's very fiery. He 
you know, he, he has this <laughs> desire to swap level with people. Even when he's boxing, the instinct is there to start trading and, and, and all that kind of stuff, just like his dad. And it got his dad into a lot of trouble. You know, Nigel Ben was knocked out by Michael Watson. He was stopped by Chris Eubank before he finally went on a serious run, you know? So, and, well, to be fair, he had a decent run before he fought Eubank first time, but still, uh, after that, and when he stepped up to super middleweight and he was WBC super middleweight champion, he had a, a very good run as WBC super middleweight champion. And during that run, as I say, he wasn't just blasting through everybody, Nigel Ben. There were some people that were able to go rounds with him. You remember the fight against Henry Wharton? You remember the fight that he had against uh, Jimenez, I believe the guy was called? That fight was right before the Gerald McClellan fight. That went a distance. He did have some good knockouts. I remember him knocking out Lou Gent, but these are, no disrespect, low-level opponents, Lou Gent. Um, Nicky Piper, yeah, but to me, Nicky Piper was weight-drained in that fight. No, no disrespect to Nigel. There's a good knockout win over Nicky Piper, but point I'm making is, at 168, Nigel wasn't an absolute beast, devastating puncher. You know, good puncher, but not devastating. So can they get Conor Ben down to a weight division below? I don't know. He seems reluctant to, but if they can, I reckon it might be beneficial for him. Or perhaps they stay at 147 and they grow into the weight division. You know, now obviously punching power is only one aspect to boxing, but the reason I'm making so much of a deal about it in this video is because if Conor Ben is to go all the way, he's going to need something exceptional about him, in my opinion. And his power at 147 is not exceptional. His defense certainly isn't. I know he's got heart, exceptional heart and determination and th that killer instinct, but nah, he's going to need something else, a physical attribute that's exceptional. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Should this guy drop down to 140 if it's possible? Or should he stay at 147 and maybe grow into the weight? Let me know. Were you impressed by the performance? Do you see improvements? I do see improvements. I don't want to make out as though it's the same thing happening every time with Conor Ben. No, I see improvements. But there's going to need to be vast improvements before I really believe this guy's ready for, you know, European, world level, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. And forgive my ignorance, but who is the current welterweight British champion. I'm not sure who it is. Let me know, people. It's happening, I'm out. The source, Lawrence O'Colley, moves to 14-0, capturing the European cruiserweight title with a, what was it? Seventh round. I had to check the round there. Seventh round TKO over even Garbu. Now, right away, I noticed some adjustments that Lawrence O'Colley had made. He came out in the first round and he had his right glove on his left cheek to block straight shots. Certain fighters do that. Vladimir Klitschko was told by Manny Stewart to do that, to hold his right glove right there to stop himself getting hit with jabs in the mouth. So I noticed that technical adjustment from Lawrence. He had his right hand covering the, the right side, uh, excuse me, the left side of his face. And also... It, I don't know whether this is something that Lawrence has worked on specifically for all fights or for this fight, uh, but he almost drew a line in the sand in the ring and told himself 
Ngabu cannot push me back to the ropes. I'll go this close to the ropes and no further. And he he held he maintained that all the way through the fight. So Lawrence would move back, move back, but then he'd reach a certain stage in the ring where he started getting a little close to the ropes and he would not move back any further than that. He would literally stop. And then Ngabu was running into him. And then they would start, you know, wrestling and mauling and all that kind of stuff. Now, Lawrence has been criticized heavily in the past for fighting ugly and for clinching excessively. I criticized him for the Matty Askin fight in particular, but also the Isaac Chamberlain fight for the amount of holding he was doing in both fights. In this fight right here, in the early rounds, it wasn't pretty, but Lawrence wasn't holding as blatantly in the early rounds in this fight as he was against Matty Askin or Isaac Chamberlain. Because again, Ngarbi was running into him, but Okoli wasn't just wrapping him up completely and preventing him from punching. Okoli was actually punching on the inside, if you noticed. And that's something I also saw in the uh, Wadi Camacho fight. On the inside, even though it was messy, there were hands free, so Lawrence wasn't tying both guys both his opponent's hands up and he was trying to punch on the inside. But because he's so tall and wiry, it does still look ugly when he does it. But that's one of the reasons that the ref allowed a lot of the stuff to go on by way of the mauling because the hands were free. See, that's something you often hear referees saying, especially in America, is they'll say, punch or get out. That's what Richard Steele used to say, punch or get out. When uh, your hands are free to punch, either punch or move away but it's not illegal to be up close as long as your opponent's hands are free. So that's what was going on in the early rounds. It was messy, it was mauly, but Ngabu's hands were free. He just wasn't punching, you know? And Lawrence was actually doing more punching on the inside than Ngabu was doing in the early rounds. So Ngabu, disappointing in terms of his inside game early on, all right? Needed to get more shots off, needed to be sharper, but hey, you know, you, you either have the hand speed and the fast twitch muscles or you don't, and Agabu clearly doesn't. So Lawrence was landing some decent shots. He did look a little, I don't want to say panicked, but he looked a little uh, tense the way Ngarbu was coming in and, you know, Lawrence was looking a little, uh, a little wary of what Ngarbu might do if he got up close, but at the same time, that line in the sand was drawn and he did not want to allow himself to get pushed back to the ropes. That seemed clear to me that that was some kind of decision that he'd made before the before the opening bell even started. So the fight progressed and it started getting more and more messy. And at that point, Lawrence was leaning down on Ngarbu and doing all this kind of Klitschko type stuff. And I think the referee did warn him a couple of times for pushing down, but it, it was borderline. It wasn't as blatant as what he did against Matty Askin or Isaac Chamberlain. It, it was borderline. You can kind of let a lot of that stuff go. Um, there was a few times where it was blatant pushing down and the ref did warn him, but for the most part, it was borderline and he was landing good shots. That's one of the things in this fight which differentiated it from the Askin fight is there was clean shots going in there from Lawrence. There was a big left hook in one of the early rounds that landed. Uh, there were some right hands landing and Garbu's eyes started swelling up. You saw redness in his face. So there was clean shots getting through from Lawrence. But as I say, as the fight progressed, it was getting more and more morley. Uh, Lawrence's holding started becoming a little excessive. But right at that moment, when it looked as though it could end up being a real, real stinker, 
Lawrence got through with some very clean shots, a big right hand. And Garbu went reeling into the ropes. His legs were all over the damn place. Referee jumped in and stopped it. Now, my instant reaction was, that's a premature stoppage. You know, that looked very premature to me. But at the same time, Ngarbu had barely won a round. You might have given him one round, and even then, it was touch and go. And he was getting slowly broken down. Lawrence was landing, you know, more and more clean shots. So, I mean, I don't know. Was Ngarbu really going to do anything there? Or was he just going to get knocked out badly? He was probably going to get knocked out badly if the ref had let it go on. Maybe in light of what's happened recently, by way of tragedies, the referee was mindful of it and thought, you know what, let me stop it right here. So maybe that played into it, I don't know. Uh, but the way it looked right there, there was only going to be one winner. I think we can all agree on that. And Garbu was seriously hurt by that big right hand. And we all know Lawrence O'Colley can punch. So that's all she wrote. 14th professional fight, European cruiserweight champion. Yeah, there's going to continue to be a lot of criticism about his style and how messy a lot of his performances are. I think it's clear now that Lawrence is going to look a lot more impressive from an entertainment point of view when he's up against the boxer. Somebody who's going to give him space and room to get his shots off. Because if you pressure him, he's going to draw that line in the sand and say, nope, you're not coming no further than this. And so you're going to have to be real quick to be able to attack him, you know, on the way in, not cumbersome like Ngarbu was. Uh, you're going to have to be quick. Maybe, you know, come in with a jab because Ngarbu wasn't really jabbing. So when Lawrence O'Colley draws that line in the sand and he won't move back past a certain distance, you know, you're going to have to be faster and more creative on the way in. Because if you bump into him, if you just, you know, allow yourself to fall into a clinch. He's very physically strong, as we all know. And Ogabu probably thought he would outstrength Lawrence, but it was the other way around. Lawrence was outstrengthing him in the long run. It was Ngarbu who got tired long before uh, Okoli got tired. And the body shots as well. You might not have paid much attention potentially to the body shots that Lawrence was landed on the inside again. He was punching a lot on the inside. So even though, even though it was ugly, it was kind of Andre Ward style ugly. I'm not comparing his inside game to Andre Ward's in terms of being that good, but it, it, the same kind of methods that Andre Ward uses on the inside, that's what Lawrence O'Colley was doing. You know, in UFC or MMA, I believe they call it dirty boxing, where you're up close and it's Morley, but you're still throwing punches. And that's what O'Colley was doing, which is, like I say, I'm not as critical of what he was doing on the inside here as I was when he fought Matty Askin. Because against Askin, he just wasn't even punching on the inside. And he was wrapping Askin up so he couldn't throw any shots. That's illegal. But here against Ngarbu, it was, it was touch and go at times, but he was actually throwing shots. And then body shots, I think, did take some steam out of uh, Ngarbu's legs. So he wore him down, physically strong, landed the big shots to the head, and took Ngarbu out. So 14 and 0. And like I say, he's going to look more impressive against fighters who give him room. If you move forward and try and attack Lawrence O'Colley, you better know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, and, and even if you don't know what you're doing, it's probably going to make for an ugly fight. But if you're on the outside boxing with him, he prefers it, I think. Lawrence will probably admit that he prefers when 
He has space to box. Like, for example, when he fought Luke Watkins, he had a lot more space in that fight and it was a cleaner fight and a cleaner knockout. So, yeah, I think it was it was a good performance. Not the most uh, pretty performance to watch, but it was good. The holding, you know, it, it was there, but for me, it wasn't too excessive. Yeah, it was starting to get a little bit like that, maybe in the sixth and going into the seventh. But prior to that, it wasn't too excessive. It was touch and go. So, yeah, I thought it was a good performance. And, and for a guy who's only 14 and 0, you got to give him his props. Yeah, he's gone the traditional route, British Commonwealth, now European champion. They want to push on to world level. His trainer, Shane McGuigan, was happy with his performance. I think Lawrence was happy with it. So, yeah, we'll see where he goes from here. As I say, stepping up to world level, it's uh, a whole new world again because you've got the likes of Maris Breedis, who's a tremendous fighter. You've got experienced vets like Glavatsky. You've got uh, Uniel Dorticus. These are very good fighters. You've got Makabu still hanging around up there. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's another level again. But I don't think Lawrence is too far away from that level. The punching power that he has is world-class and the physical strength he has is world-class. Um, and when I think of the styles of a lot of the other fighters at top level, they might gel with his style a bit better. Because, you know, a guy like Dorticus can box. And, and Dorticus, but, uh, not Dorticus, excuse me. Um, God, I forgot the guy's name. Breedis. I hope I didn't say Gassiev earlier on. Maris Breedis. A guy like Breedis, who's probably the best uh, at, in the world at the moment, he boxed a, a very, very ugly fight against Mike Perez. I mean, that was as ugly a fight as Lawrence O'Colley against Matty Askin. That was real ugly for Maris Breedis in that fight. Horrible stuff. Should have been deducted multiple points, uh, points in that fight. So just to put it in perspective, for those who say, oh, Lawrence is terrible and he hugs and he does this, that, and the other, go and watch Maris Breedis when he fought Mike Perez. You won't see any worse example of holding than that. That was horrific. But yet, against other styles, Maris Breedis didn't box like that. You know? So, same with Lawrence O'Colley. I think when, it, when a guy's going to give him a bit of space, you'll see a much neater performance. So, anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. I thought it was decent enough. And I'm seeing improvements, and it will continue to improve. So, yeah, let me know, people. It's happening. I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. This is Jonathan now, your fifth seconds out. We're in the immediate aftermath 
of Derek Chisora's win over David Price. I'm joined by Brian Jennings. Brian, I know you've seen that inspiring a lot. Just talk me through that. Yeah, well, um, you know, those are the things that we were working on, uh, making sure that he applied the pressure, uh, move his head, you know, uh, come in with at least, you know, moving your head or a jab. And um, he did exactly what he was supposed to do tonight. Just on the knockout, it was devastating, really. Yeah, it definitely was devastating, uh, and it's also devastating for David. You know, um, he's been put down a couple, quite a quite a amount of times, and I think that it was a good decision for for the corner to throw the towel in at that time, based on the fact that he's been hurt quite some times, and, and you know, being very careful with him. And it's the first sign of you know a foul body language or whatever, or anything that sounds seems as if you know he's hurt or he that he can't get that he can't continue or that you know it'll push him to a particular limit you know just throw the towel in call it call it a night um and, you know you, you'll be able to live again and fight again who'd you like to see him fight, fight next who are uh, david price uh derek oh derek uh well you know um well wh whoever he wants to fight you know um whoever he, he whoever he's pleased to uh you know to get it to share the ring with um you know um I'm I'm pretty much looking for a fight too. So it's like, you know, uh, whoever I was wanting to see him fight, if he don't fight them, I'm gonna fight him. You know. Yeah. So it's like even me or him, let's get it. You know. Just on you quickly, we lost all you out against Joe Joyce. Didn't go your way. Just talk to me about that fight and what's been going on since. Yeah, well, uh, you know, life been going on since, but uh, you know, the, the fight the fight to me is over. First of all, first and foremost, nothing you could do about it. But you know, um, that's just what it was. You know, it's really it's really nothing I can actually do about it. I did think that. You know the fight was a lot closer, um, but you know it is what it is. I, I once once things happen, you know I let it go. Not unless you know some some other shit resurfaced where it's those like yo, you was dirty or you was just you know because I I've had situations where that happened. So we expect you out before the end of the year. Uh yeah yeah definitely expect me out before the end of the year. Um, I, that's what I want. But you know um you know top rank is pretty busy with the, you know with all this shit. You mean. You know, um, so, you know, hopefully I can get in the mix somewhere in there, you know, with a good bout. Ron, appreciate your time tonight. Enjoy your night. Thank you, man. This is Jonathan Agoff here for Seconds Out. I'm joined by the chief of the WBSSS, SS rather, Kala Sowland. Kala, at the press conference, you described this as the Champions League of Boxing. That certainly lived up to it. I mean, if we saw that in a uh, in, in football context, it would have been a 5-4. Uh, what a great night of boxing. Um, I mean, that, that fight was simply what we try and deliver. You've got two athletes in their absolute prime unifying world titles on the stage like this. Um, boxing doesn't get better than that. You know, it's a very, very, very exciting fight and from start to finish, back and forth for me and uh, incredible. Let's break it down for us. I mean, a lot of people said that progress took sort of the early rounds. Taylor came on. I mean, the scorecards were close. One had it a draw. How did you score? I, I, I had it two rounds, Taylor, but you know, I, I'm terrible at scoring fights at rings, you know, unless I'm not involved in the fight. And I was just, it was just, uh, it was a tough fight to score. But I do think Taylor, Taylor edged it, whether it was a round or three rounds or two rounds, I, I, I can't say. I think the fact that progress also sort of in the ring said, yeah, the better man won tonight. I think 
you know, we know a lot, but the fighters, they know. They, when they're in that ring, they, they know what's landing and what's not landing. And, you know, it's difficult for us to see cleanly all the punches. Uh, so, no, I think, I think the, the, the decision's fine. I think that one scorecard was a, was a bit heavy, but once again, I don't know. I look at it tomorrow, and, and I, think, I think we got the right winner uh, in terms of the scores. And I think, uh, you know, credit to progress as well. He's going to come back from this uh, bigger and better. You know, you'll learn from it, that's for sure. I mean, Josh Taylor in 15 fights has unified the super lightweight division. He's got the Muhammad Ali trophy. Jose, Mar Jose Mar Ramirez has got the other two belts. Is that the natural undisputed fight? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, well, I don't think, I, I think at the moment, I think Josh is head and shoulders above Ramirez. I think he's head and shoulders above anyone at super lightweight. And uh, he, he certainly showed that tonight. Just talk to us about how the promotion's gone for this. You've really seen sort of the magnitude of the event just go up and up over the over the weeks. What's yeah? What's the promotion? Been like? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we we as a as a brand as World Boxing Super Series, we're growing and growing. You can talk about brands, but we you know, like I said, we we, we try and put on the best boxing possible. And I think everyone who bought a ticket tonight, bought a pay per view tonight, will be will go home happy. They watch, they watch boxing and it's very, very fine. So I called it a caviar of boxing before and I think we delivered that tonight. And by doing that repeatedly, you, you, you don't need to have much, you don't need brand managers, you don't need marketing campaigns, you know, you just, people know, right, that's a WBSS fight, it's a Muhammad Ali trophy, it's going to be good, it's going to be good. And uh, we showed it in season one and season two has been amazing, if not even better than season one. And this, the second final in Japan and, 10 days, uh, uh, Donair and uh, Inui is going to be very, very, very interesting. Much more interesting than people think. I mean, with these kind of finals, you do need a stellar undercard. You had that with Price and Derek Chisora. I mean, Derek Chisora is someone that you've promoted. How, how does he keep getting better? I promoted both for, for many years. Uh, so I know them in and out. I do think it's time for Pricey to, uh, to call it a day. Um, I think that Derek looks like a man reborn. He's changed, changed his, his camp, his setup, his, his whole approach to the sport, you know. Um, he seems to be taking it a lot more seriously. Uh, and you can see it physically when he, when he took the robe off tonight. I saw him at the weigh-in yesterday, but just tonight when, he was, when he'd been warmed up in the dressing room clearly and, and he was pumped, he, he just looked like a different fighter than I've seen Derek over many, many years. And uh, I've seen him overweight, I've seen him fit, I've seen him not fit. But he just looks, he looks, he, he, he's, the difference for me is, he's always been a brawler. But he's punching with intent at the moment. He's punching with bad intentions. And uh, he's making those punches count. And from, from the first round, I, I expect him to be much more even. And, and uh, you know, Pro, yeah, Price had a few good counters first couple of rounds. But, you know, Derek looked in control all the way through, and, and I, I didn't see the, the finish because it was, was a bad angle. I heard it, I heard Pricey sort of ducked into an uppercut at the same time, so sort of a double impact. Um, and he, you know, the corner pulled him out. Said Price should probably call it a day for Derek. The story rolls on. I mean, there's been some names branded around Usyk, Jarrell Miller. Who do you think he should go in with? Well, I'd, I'd pay money to watch the press conference against Jarrell Miller, um, but. I think, you know, I think Uzik's an interesting fight. Derek against Uzik, that's a, that's a tasty one. There's a couple more on the World Boxing Super Series next week, as you mentioned. Inoue versus Donaire. 
that's a lot of people have Vanui in their pound for pound list. I mean, this is a cracking fight. I've got him at the top. I, I don't. I don't. I just. I see people put Canelo at number one, and and, and uh, uh, Terence Crawford as well. Terence Crawford's a great fighter. Canelo's a great fighter. But have they dismantled other world champions the way he dismantles other world champions? They're not bum world champions. These are real world champions. He's dismantling in in a matter of seconds. So, for me, he's the best. He's the best pound-for-pound pound fighter on the planet at the moment. The interesting thing now is, you know, everyone's talking about him, why he's going to go through the weights, up the weights, and uh, that's, that's all great. Plans always sound great. Well, this is, this is going to be the first test of that because Donaire is someone who is a big guy. He's bigger than anyone uh, in who he's faced so far, and guess what? He can really bang. So... It's going to be interesting because Donaire's a super sharp boxing thinker, and um, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting than people think that that, that you know he knew he's going to have another another feast. Just on Donaire, I mean, he obviously beat Ryan Burnett. Ryan Burnett got injured. He's since retired. Just what? I I know. I think, but Burnett has had a great career, world champion. Don't can't really say more than that. Lovely, lovely, lovely fella. And I uh, wish him all the very best in his, his retirement. Enjoy, go and enjoy your life now, mate. Um, he's, he's a credit to the sport. He's an absolute gentleman, pleasure to work with. And how unlucky was he uh, in, 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 that, in that quarterfinal? It could so easily be him now fighting in, uh, in Tokyo. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's saddening. But at the same time, he walks away from the sport. Uh, you know, apart from his injuries, of course, but but as a as a as a healthy man, uh, you know, boxing does uh, does have other have other uh, you know can, you can leave it in another way as well. I don't want to I don't want to spell things out, but he's but he's he's a, he's just a very very likable guy, and what a career he's had, and uh, very proud to have worked with him. Finally, Bradis and Dorticus, the other final. Yeah. Just talk to me about that. Well, that's that's that, you just have to look at the go and go and look at the first season semi-finals, and then your, your mouth will water over what what final we got a chance to break. Oh, I mean, you know, it's 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 a cracking fight. Both punchers, both great boxers. Uh, you know, at that level, you know, we saw great fights tonight, but that's going to be on a par with that at least as well. Any plans for another series? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're rolling ahead with season three. Um, working on the timelines, working on which weight classes and how many weights. Kala, I really appreciate your time for Seconds Out and we'll catch up with you soon. Great night. Thank you very much. This is Jonathan Angoff here for Seconds Out. It's very late here at the O2 Arena, but we have witnessed Josh Taylor become unified champion tonight. He's beaten Regis Progress. Barry, just describe your emotions. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, uh, it's hard not to be emotional, John, because we've had a tragic year. I lost my gorgeous daughter, my only daughter, to cancer uh, on the 23rd of July, and we have been heartbroken, destroyed as a family. And so proud of my son, Shane, that he came through all that, and we've had a rough couple of years and he's been able to get the best out of his fighters. And so proud of Taylor too, because his, uh, his fiance's dad 
Uh, James Murphy died of sepsis at 47 years old in September and he's been able to cope with that, train himself into great condition and put on a performance like he did tonight against a very, very tough guy. Uh, Taylor was a ranked outsider uh, by most of the boxing punters all over the world and yet he showed what he can do and he won it. Uh, I, th I felt by about three rounds but it was a it was a spe spectacular fight I mean as you said Josh Taylor was uh, the underdog going into tonight but he really showed incredible boxing skill doubling up the jab did you sort of have a feeling going in that you he was more of a favourite than people were giving him? Of course, I, I won 100% confident in him. I believed that he would win and he could stop him. And I'd, I thought around, around 7 or 8 he had Progray in big trouble and I thought if he had stepped on the gas a little bit more he could have got him out of there. But in fairness to Progray, he came back tremendously well, particularly when, I, when, the, when Josh's right eye went. He couldn't see out of his right eye for three and a half rounds. So he was fighting blind on, on one side and he was caught with a great shot in the 11th. And I said to him, did that hurt you? It looked like, he said, no. He said, never hurt me at all. He just, I just couldn't see. And, uh, you know, he, he showed that he could back a fighter up and beat him in his own game. And he showed so much versatility. I'm very, very proud of him. And, uh, I, you know, you know, IBF, WBA, Ring Magazine and WBSS, Muhammad Ali Trophy, all in the one year. A tragic year for all of us emotionally and yet Taylor has blossomed and, and come to the fore so I'm immensely proud of him John John I'm gonna to have to run yeah brilliant one last question who does Josh Taylor fight next everyone's saying Jose Jose Ramirez as domestic clashes possible with Lewis Ritson where's he going next I, I, I to be honest with you I, I with the greatest respect to Lewis Ritson for us that's a step back I, we only want big fights and I want to work with Eddie and maybe we can look at Ritson after the winner of Postel and Ramirez because we want we think Ramirez will beat Postel um, but Postel is very good and as we show, as he showed against Taylor uh, I want to give Josh two or three months to recover from that eye injury he's had uh, you know he's had a big break between this and the last fight against uh, um, uh, Baron Cech, so we'd like it to have happened, but because of the injury, he needs to play it by ear, and I think he needs time for that eye to recover. And then he'll keep himself fit and train and keep taking over, and then we'll hit the ground running once once that has fully recovered. We'll know the winner between Apostle and Ramirez, and then I would like to would like the winner of that. And I know Eddie's got this fantastic deal with the zone, and uh, at Sky, and we'd love to we'd love to fight him again either in over here, or in Madison Square Garden or the Barclays Center, the East Coast of America. We'd we'd love it. Brilliant stuff, Barry. Appreciate your time for seconds out, and uh, have a good night. Thank you, seconds out. <laughs>